as we continue our time of worship, if I could draw your attention to the Psalms. I know we're preaching through Ecclesiastes, but I feel like this one fits very well with Matt's message this morning. Psalm chapter 1. While you are turning there, I just want to tell you how grateful I am that you are here. It is one thing to be online, and I'm not knocking that at all. But it's another thing to be face-to-face, tangibly with somebody. The body of Christ is exhorted and encouraged to gather together as often as possible. And I'm just so thankful that you are here. So grateful that you are joining us this morning to worship a God who is worthy of it all. Amen? The name above all names, the King above all kings, the Lord above all lords, the Alpha and the Omega, and the list goes on and on. I'm going to try that again. The King above all kings, the Lord above all lords, the Alpha, the Omega, and the list goes on and on. Thank you. Thank you. I have to apologize. In my studies, I've been looking a lot in the history of African American preaching in America, and I want to point out that we do not call and response quite as good as they do. But we can try. Amen. One God, one Lord, one faith. Beginning in Psalm 1, it says this, How blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, hallelujah, is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates both day and night. He will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so. They are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will stand in the judgment, will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the right Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let us pray. Father God, as we come before you, as we continue our time of exalting you as king, let the words of Ecclesiastes just permeate our heart. Let us look to you beyond man's wisdom and see the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that is within each of us who profess Christ. Let us make much of Jesus in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bruce. If you are able, as I dismiss our kids to go out to their classes, you see Miss Mary standing over there waiting for you. If you are able, can you please do me a favor and open up to the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes, we are in our final stretch of the book, and we are going to be having about four more messages, including today. I'm not sure about you, but when we started back in January, I felt like this was going to be a long time coming, but 2024 is flying by. It is moving fast. We are two months in, and we're already into our Easter month. And 
we are creeping up on one of my favorite events that happens every four years. That is the Summer Olympics. I love the Summer Olympics. I love everything about it. We're creeping up on that. But the one thing I do not like about the Summer Olympics is when you watch them on TV, you'll be bombarded by commercials. Commercial after commercial after commercial, and those commercials will be political. They're going to be political because the other thing that happens, the other big event that happens every four years is the presidential election. The Summer, ele uh, summer Olympics are something that I absolutely love. The election season is not. It is not something that I love, and I'm sure I'm not telling you anything new, but there is a great divide in our country when it comes to politics. You have the extreme left, you have the extreme right, and you have everything in between. I feel like the political season can best be described as maybe a game of tug-of-war. When I was in school, when I was in school, my favorite classes were recess, lunch, and PE. Okay, that, that, that's pretty much what I live for. And my favorite day of the school year, I bet you can guess, field day. Field day was my favorite day of the year. And being that I wasn't fast, being the fact I couldn't touch my toes, and that dodgeball was not an option, tug of war was the event of my choice on field day. The object, in case you don't know what tug of war is, in case you've been living under a rock your whole life, um, is to get the flag that is in the middle of the rope and all the little people that are close to that flag to come to your side. You're trying to pull them with all your might to come to your side and you, you had the big kid and I was a big kid uh, you had a big kid that was the anchor and that anchor was, was the deepest, most entrenched person on the left or on the right and they were the ones who kind of guided and strengthened everybody else to pull with your team to pull on that rope and try and win and that's the whole, whole object it was just to win you wanted to win and you wanted to stand victorious over your opponent and you wanted to be able to rub that in you wanted to make sure that they knew that you beat them for the foreseeable future my question for you is this would you say that that is an adequate elementary description of politics today I think so personally I think that a good majority of Americans feel that, that, that they are the flag in the middle that they're the one getting pulled each way, right or left, up until the very day that they vote. And the strongest pulling, the strongest pulling in effect is, is how bad the other side is. It's never about how good we are, it's how bad they are. And, and what's wrong with them and why you should avoid them at all costs. I told you those commercials are the things that are just going to bug me. But the, the commercials, their primary focus is on the division between the two main parties. That, that's their, their primary focus. And I'm not sure if you understand this, but the key word there is division. Division means to have, it literally means translated, to have two visions. One group says the country should go in this direction. One group says the country should go in that direction. And they want to take us with them. Now you might be thinking, well, why in the world are you talking about this today? This is supposed to be March. We're supposed to be happy. The sun's out and shining. Why are we talking about politics? Well, let me first start off with this to kind of lay this foundation right out of the gate. And that is this. Jesus was not affiliated with a political party. He was not a Republican. He was not a Democrat. And he most certainly was not a socialist, even though people will tell you that. There is no perfect political party. 
And as we have seen in Ecclesiastes, politics under the sun, because that means it doesn't have a God-central focus, which we've watched politics, and I think that's pretty evident. Those politics are meaningless. He says it over and over and over again. But the problem that we run into, the problem that we run into is that the followers of Jesus, while Jesus is not affiliated with a political party, the followers of Jesus often do affiliate with a political party. And guess what? We get caught up in that weird tug of war. We get caught up in that weird tug of war in our families. We get caught up in that weird tug of war with our workplaces. We even get caught up in that tug of war here in the church. And that divide and that pull are evident. And as the tensions grow, as we get closer to November and even beyond November. The question we have this morning, the thing that we have to look at this morning is this. For Christians, how do we navigate that tension? How do we navigate that tension? Whether our party wins or our party loses that tug of war, what do we do? How do we respond as Christians to the authority and the systems that dominate our public life? How should we respond? Because there's going to be people who are over us that we like. There's going to be authorities over us that we like. There's also going to be authorities and people over us that we don't like. So how do we respond? How do we navigate through the world in our daily lives and live still as Christians? And this, this, this question goes far beyond politics, by the way. This question goes in the home. It goes at school. It goes at the workplace. It goes all over. Even here in the church, how do we respond to the leadership that we both like and don't like? Well, 3,000 years ago, a guy by the name of Solomon wrote this book, Ecclesiastes. Solomon was the wisest man of the time and he was the most dominating king of the time and he gave us one word for an answer. You know what that one word was? Wisdom. That is how we navigate this world. Wisdom. Wisdom applied in our lives changes everything. Now I had you open your Bibles up to the book of Ecclesiastes and I would like for you to go to chapter 8 with me today. Chapter 8 and we're going to start with a question. Solomon starts with a question which says these words. It says, Who is like the wise person? And who knows the interpretation of a matter? Basically saying, Who knows why things happen in this life? Why does the good guy win and the bad guy lose? Or why does the bad guy win and the good guy lose? Why do these things happen? What is the meaning of these specific things in life? And that's a great question. But you know what I found out about Ecclesiastes and Solomon, he asks a lot of great questions and he never answers them. He doesn't answer this one either. He gives an answer, but it's not an answer to the question. Look what he says next. He talks about what godly wisdom applied looks like. It changes things. It says, a person's wisdom brightens his face and the sternness of his face is changed. Now, I want to take a little side note here and ask a question that maybe you have asked before. I've heard the question asked before, but that is this. Why do we have authority and leadership in the first place? Why do we have authority and leadership in the first place? Why did God design the household the way that he did? Why did he design the church the way that he did? Why did he design the workplace the way that he did? And why do our government structures and systems operate the way that they do? What is going on? Why does each party, even in that political system or any overall system, think that they have finally figured out the reason why we exist. 
and, and, and what we are supposed to do under the sun. And if we give them control by electing them into power, they're supposed to give us hope and help us live our lives better. Why does any of that exist? I ask those questions because I know lots of people who ask those questions. I know people who challenge the system with those questions. But when they do, or when even I just did, do you know what happens to your face? What happened to your face as I was asking those questions? Did your eyebrows crinkle up just a little bit? And did you just get that kind of, oh, he's talking about politics. And that heart rate starts to raise up just a little bit. And the tension starts to grow just a little bit. And, and all of these things, the, the, the countenance begins to change. Our emotional state begins to change. And all of a sudden, you just want to rage against the machine. Yeah. Ever been that way? Because that's what politics does to people. Just have a conversation. I think that the two conversations we're supposed to avoid are religion and politics. Welcome to church this morning, everybody. <laughs> and it, it, it causes this internal tension, this internal uh, angst that goes on. Why do you think that happens? Well, if you look at verse 1, I think it answers that. It answers it because... I am not approaching the system of authority with godly wisdom or a godly perspective. And I've said at, throughout Ecclesiastes, and I say, I say, we just read Ecclesiastes and see what it says. But anytime we look at Ecclesiastes and really anytime we look at life, there's two different approaches we can look at life with. One is with me at the center or two, it's with God at the center. And, and that's our two options. If I am at the center of everything, everything revolves around me. And it revolves around my wants and my desires and my, 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 my. But God at the center, everything revolves around Him. It's that under the sun versus under the heaven approach, according to Solomon. And that two, or those two perspectives, they change the way we see everything else. They're the filter by which we see everything, including authority and the association of the systems that, that, that connect with it. Let's take a simple statement as an example. Evil exists in the world. Evil exists in the world. If you take the under-the-sun approach to that, you know why evil exists? It's because of you and because of me, because of everything else. Unless we want to eliminate ourselves and we just say there's a couple of people that create all the evil. But that's not the truth. It, there's no other way around it. Because we are the problem. And we're the problem because there's nothing else. Under the sun means there's nothing else out there. But because there's nothing else out there, there is no God. Everything revolves around me. That means I also have to be the solution. I have to get out of my own way to become the solution. Or I need to elect people to become the solution. And that's how they run their campaigns. But the problem is, because we are the reason there's evil, and if you go back to the last verse of 7, which is verse 29, it says they use their many schemes to do for themselves, we won't get out of our own way. We won't become the solution, and the people we elect won't save us either. That's the under-the-sun approach. Flip that, and let's look at the under-the-heaven approach. And actually, this one might be a little bit harder for us to wrap our minds around. There's a God, and He's in control. 
goes back to last week. If there is one, why does he allow suffering? Why does he allow those people, and I use those people, to be in charge? Does God know and just doesn't care? Does, does God know and, not, and have the inability to do anything? Well, that triggers a thinking that drifts us back towards, well, maybe the under the sun approaches is right. Maybe it is all about us and maybe we just need to try harder. But then again, if the under the sun approach is right, that leads us to another question. If there isn't a God, why are there so many good things? Where do those good things come from if we're evil? Where do the enjoyable things come from? I, I asked one simple statement or i made one simple statement evil exists in the world do, do you see how that one simple statement is just difficult to process process on our own how to get your mind going when we're left to our own thinking it leads us to question over and over again so i guess the question comes back to how do we navigate in this crazy world when we live our lives in such a way solomon again says go back to wisdom wisdom and he says what the application of godly wisdom does to us. What's it say here? It says it changes our face. It, 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 it changes not just what it does to us, but, but for us. It changes how we live our lives. This wisdom applied changes everything. And throughout the rest of this chapter, Psalm's going to show us how wisdom helps us navigate some of the big areas of our lives. We'll call them the big three today. Number one, the authority over us. How do we navigate the authority over us? Number two, the unfairness is all around us. And number three, the mystery of the unanswered questions that lie within us. These are the things that he's going to look at as we look at chapter eight. So let's pick up in verse, cha- uh, verse two of chapter eight. And we're gonna read really the two through nine talk about how to navigate living under the authority in this world by also living under the authority of God. Let's look at verses two through six to start off with. It says, keep the king's command. You know who's writing this? The king. Just, just, just laying that out there for just a second there. Sometimes it's easy to tell you what to do when I'm the one telling you what to do, right? Um, because of your oath made before God. Do not be in a hurry. Leave his presence. And do not persist in a bad cause since he will do whatever he wants. For the king's word is authoritative. And who can say to him, what are you doing? The one who keeps a command will not experience anything harmful and the wise heart knows the right time and procedure. For every activity, there is a right time and procedure even though a person's trouble are heavy on him. So the first part of the chapter here, Solomon gives us some wise counsel. How to navigate under earthly authority while living under godly authority. And here's the filter we need to see this passage through. And that is this. This truth. God works through authority. God works through authority. He works through good rulers. He also works through bad ones. Since the beginning of time, there have been plenty of both, and God has used them all for His glory. He's used kings for political authority. He's used prophets and priests to carry out spiritual authority. He even used Jesus as an example of how to submit to authority as He submitted to the Father's authority. There's also a consistent theme throughout the Bible. For people to respect authority over them. From government, to wives and husbands, to children and parents, to employees and employers. It's all there. But the problem is, without wisdom, and even sometimes with wisdom, that is difficult. Am I, am I lying? 
Do, do we have a struggle in our country, in our lives? I mean, let's just be honest. What's the foundation for that? First and foremost, the human race was built on rebellion. A rebellion against God. Since Adam and Eve, we've rebelled against God. I love America. I love my country. My favorite, favorite holiday outside of Christmas and Easter is 4th of July. Love celebrating America. But you know what celebrating 4th of July is celebrating? Rebellion and revolution. That's what we are based on as a country. Take it a next step. I love being a Christian. I love being a, a follower of Christ. I fall in what might be called the Protestant umbrella. You know what the Protestant Reformation was all about? Rebellion. Revolution against the way the Catholic Church was doing things when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door. I mean, that, that's just part of it. And, and we look at those things, we say, if I'm in a tug of war, my pulling is probably going to be more towards the not respecting authority, not falling in line with what I'm supposed to be doing, and, and, and really respect and honor those authorities. And guess what? We see it every day in our lives, don't we? And even worse, we live in the middle of a day and age that, that thinks respect for authority is a sign of weakness. So this is a tough message to hear today. And even more so, it's a tough message to give. But here we are. Here we are because we're not just pick, cherry-picking verses out of wherever we want to, to do five things that make you have a better marriage and that kind of stuff like that. We're just hitting Ecclesiastes and we're doing what it says. And we're going to follow along. And here we go. So I hope you're ready for it. I'm going to step on everybody's toes today. Just going to give that heads up right now. As we tackle this chapter, here's what we need to understand. Solomon was actually writing this portion to an officer in the royal court who had godly wisdom. Maybe he could see it on his face. Maybe he could see it in his life. But he starts out by giving him and us five points of wise counsel when navigating and interacting with authority. Whether it be in the home, whether it be at our job, whether it be in the church, or in our government. The first nugget, we'll call it, we have a five-piece nugget today. Um, first nugget of wise counsel is this. Honor God in all you do. Honor God in all you do. Paul talks about in Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Honor God in all you do. Because verse 2, I had jokingly said when I read it, honor the king. Well, the king's the one writing it. But he doesn't say honor because I'm writing it. He says it's because you have made an oath. You've made an oath to God. And you're like, what? But have I? Anybody in here ever had to do the Pledge of Allegiance when you were in school? I, I think it's just about everybody. They may have taken it out now. I'm not a teacher, so I don't know that. But I think just about everybody had to do the Pledge of Allegiance. You know what the Pledge of Allegiance is? It's an oath. It's an oath that we make to our country. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Hey, I remember it. Not bad. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought I might screw it up, so I'm glad I didn't. I've been rad. The thing is, when you think about that oath, we, we make that oath as a pledge to say, God and country, I will stand with you. God, of course, coming first. So my question, if godliness is important, which I hope it is, how should we approach that? Because sometimes we approach with ungodly actions that don't pursue or don't support the pursuit of what we might claim to be godly ends. Honor God in all you do. Now that first one 
kind of a jagged little nugget and tough to swallow. So this is what he says next. Our second nugget is the authority's power is real and often God-given. I think in verse 2 it's pretty clear that he's talking about obedience to authority. There's no sugarcoating it. Here it is in all of its glory, but he says the reasons are simple. Number one, you made that oath that we talked about. Number two, the authority has power. Do you understand that in Solomon's day, a king could kill you and have no consequences for it? If you're standing in his way and he wants you dead, you're dead. If he wanted your land, anybody ever seen Emperor's New Groove? He wanted the place for his, his little pool house. That's, that's the, the truth of the matter here. If you want your stuff, he's going to take it from you. That is the authority. There's no consequences. And, and you know, that, that sounds brutal. And thankfully, it's not that way 100% today, but it still has some truth. Think about this. If the government or work or home wants something, the authority has the power to get rid of you via firing or jail time or divorce or worse all those things play themselves out and of course our first thought is what that that's not fair have you been with us for ecclesiastes has anything been fair yet that's pretty much what he's laying out there life under the sun is not fair but the great thing is there's there's something we can hold on to in this second nugget and that's that verse eight says that there's going to be a day coming that even the kings can't escape judgment but while we are here, we need to honor God. We need to realize the power behind the authority. But he drops this third nugget of wisdom, and that is this. Pick your battles wisely. Pick them prayerfully. Because as hard as number one and number two can be to follow, there's going to be a point in time that you're going to drop the Popeye line. And if you grew up watching Popeye, you know exactly what I'm going to say. That's all I can stand, and I can't stand it no more. I cannot follow this leader. Whether it be from government all the way down to my home, I cannot obey this ruler. As a matter of fact, you, in verse 3, you'll, you'll see this official wants you to get up and leave the presence. He wants to get up and leave the presence of the king, but it says, hey, don't be in a hurry. Don't come to this realization that you have to die on every hill because not every hill is worth dying on. Not every cause is equally just. Think about it. Pray about it. Focus on that internal drive and the emotion that might be pushing you before you push forward. And he goes on from verse 3 into, verse, in, in, into uh, our fourth little nuggy here, and that is this. Don't participate in ungodly schemes. When you read that verse, it can be translated one of two ways. And really, most commentaries go either way. It either says, hey, do not get involved in the king's evil plan or don't participate in a plan to overthrow the king. Either way, we like to get caught up in the mob mentality, don't we? We like to get caught up in this, this it's real and we're going to grab our pitchforks and we're going to throw our demonstration signs and then we're going to post things on Facebook before we even know what we're doing. We jump into those kind of things and basically... What he's saying here is what we see in Acts chapter 5. When the, when the apostles are standing before the Sanhedrin and say it's better to obey God rather than man. And we're like, yeah, we're going to hold on to that one. But we also have to remember as we even read that and understand that how we do this comes back down to that one word. Wisdom. Godly wisdom. And what does it look like to obey God in that specific situation? 
Then he swings over to nugget number five, and that's verses four through six. I'm going to read them for you again. So I want you to hear, and if you have your Bibles and you like to underline, there's a couple things I want you to underline in this one. For the king's word is authoritative. And who can say to him, what are you doing? Our title of today's message is, who's in charge here? Who's in charge here? Who are we to question the king? The one who keeps a command will not experience anything harmful. And a, and if you're going to underline things here, a wise heart knows the right time and procedure. For every activity, there is a right time and a right procedure. You can underline that as well. Even though a person's troubles are heavy on him. You want to know what wise nugget number five is? This, this wise counsel that he's dropping for us. Look for the God-given right time and procedure. To do the right thing in the right way for the right reason. The right thing in the right way for the right reason at the right time. There's a word. It's a spiritual gift. I wish I had a, more of it. But it's called discernment. Thankfully, I married an amazing woman who has this. She speaks it into my life often. Hey, you might want to. But this discernment basically is, don't be impulsive and make the problem worse. Stop and think about it. Think about the biblical examples of like a guy like Joseph, or a guy like Nehemiah, or a guy like Daniel, or how about this guy named Jesus? Or, Or the apostles who followed after him. They all laid out the right time in the right way and the right reasons because those things matter. See, Solomon's saying in these five-piece nuggets that we have options. We can choose to disobey. We can choose to defy and fight. But before we do, before we jump into it, we need to exercise wisdom and seek to discern the right time and the right procedure. So, you want the summary for this first part of it is this it's hard being a christian in this world that's pretty much what it boils down to being a christian in this world is complicated and there's a good thing though and the book of james reminds us of this that we can ask god for wisdom and receive it by faith and that godly wisdom leads us to this bonus nugget there are things in this life that we want to change there are things in this life that need to change the nugget is, is that some things we just can't change. Some things we just can't change and nor can any other human. There are things that only God can do. And that's what drives Solomon in this next three verses. Pick up in verse 7 with me. It says, Yet no one knows what will happen because who can tell him what will happen? No one has authority over the wind to restrain it. And there's no authority over the day of death. No one is discharged during battle and wickedness will not uh, sorry, and wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. All this I have seen, applying my mind to all the work that is done under the sun at a time when one person has an authority over another to his harm. Quick summary in all of this. There are some moments that we have to sit back and realize this. I am not in control. That God is in control. I don't know for sure what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what for sure what's going to happen in the next five minutes. I don't know when my life on earth is going to be done. I think his example here was appropriate for March in New Mexico. I can't control the wind. Because if I could, I would have this last week. I can't control people. I can't control how they're going to act. 
I can't control how they're going to react. Sometimes I have a hard time doing that for myself, much less others. But this is the one thing I can do. I can find comfort in the fact that God is in control. Proverbs 16.9, also written by King Solomon, reminds us these words. A person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. Or, as the message commentary puts it, it says, we plan the way we want to live, but only God makes us able to live it. I saw this play itself out in my life in the last about week and a half. As many of you know, uh, my wife and I have adopted four children. uh, And we started the process about two months ago to adopt two more. And in that process to adopt two more, we're going to be adopting from Haiti. But the Haiti process unlike the other countries that we have done, you're not matched with a child until all of your upfront paperwork is done. So the two children that we were planning on and planning for were not officially our children until, until it came to that point. So we didn't know who exactly we were going to. We had assumptions that we were going to. Well, over the course of the last two months, uh, the little girl that we had planned on adopting who had cerebral palsy, um, was being pursued by another family. And in that process of being pursued by another family, we realized we could have kept pushing. We could have went right by them in the process and undercut that family and and got this girl basically for ourselves. But we've actually had that happen to us before, a couple years ago. And so uh, knowing that she had a forever family, we stepped back and said, God, uh, we know that that's, that's where you want her to go. And we were good with that. So we are down to one. And we were like, okay, we're, we're going to be fine with one. Well, literally the same day that we were making that decision, my wife gets a call from the National Down Syndrome Adoption Agency about an 11-year-old boy with Down Syndrome who is in need of a forever family. To keep a very long story short, and if you want to hear the long story, I'll be happy to tell you another time. After much prayer and discussion... Christian and I will be loading up this week and driving across the country and I will have a new son by Easter. And so, you guys, uh, I, I, I appreciate the clapping, but um, it was just something that we knew that that's what God wanted. It wasn't what we had planned, but it's what God wanted. We had planned, God guided the steps. That, that is just a, a small thing that we think about as we navigate every day when I wake up in the morning I've gotten to the point like okay God what are we doing because I know that my plan doesn't matter Uh, and we plan the way we want to live but only God makes us able to live it to navigate all the things in life that gets thrown at us we need to trust that statement is true we need to trust God to rule over all We need to trust God has control over everyone and everything. In this life, we know, and Solomon says, people use their power to hurt and harm one another. That includes any person sitting on the throne. The throne in our household, the throne in our family, the throne in our business, the throne in our government, the throne in the courtroom, and even the throne of the church. We have to understand that those people are still people. And in every one of those places, there's also critics that are going to do what critics do best. 
that creates a constant tension, a constant tug of war. But here's the beautiful thing. One day, every earthly throne will be gone forever and only one throne will remain. Sitting on that throne will be the risen, ruling, reigning King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. He will judge the living and the dead. And on that day, before the judge who knows all and sees all, wickedness will not be rewarded. It may be rewarded today, but it will not be rewarded in the end. Not the wickedness of those in power, and not the wickedness of those under power. And the thing is, that leads us to 10 through 14, where he says these words. To navigate the unfairness that's all around us. He says, in such circumstances, I saw the wicked buried. They came and went from the holy place, and they were praised in the city where they did those things. This too is futile. Because the sentence against the evil act is not carried out quickly, the heart of the people is filled with the desire to continue to commit evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people, for they are reverent before him. However, it will not go well with the wicked, and they will not lengthen their days like a shadow, for they are not reverent before God. There's a futility that is done on the earth. And there are righteous people who get what actions of the wicked deserve. And there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. I say that this too is futile. I gave you a Captain Obvious statement up front saying evil exists in this world. But here's statement number two that falls right in line with it. The world's filled with injustice. The world is filled with injustice. And here's something that may not be as obvious when it comes to injustice. There are things in this life that we benefit from. Sometimes it is that injustice. And sometimes we don't mind it happening. I bought new razors this week. I used to buy Gillette razors, but they're like 40 bucks. And I'm like, I know I want to keep this thing looking good, but 40 bucks is pretty high. Well, Amazon sells them for 20, something that's very similar. The difference is, is Gillette is made in Massachusetts. The Amazon ones are probably made in China under some form of injustice. I'm benefiting by spending $20 less. Do I care? Tough question. You know what matters? When we decide to create a stink, it's when it invades our life or the life of somebody we care about. That's when we react and that's when we invest. But oftentimes not until then. When something takes our eyes off of ourselves, we begin to see that there's a world around us that is full of this injustice. And we see the same thing that Solomon sees in this part of the passage. We see that evil people get praised. In the last five years, how many evil people got praised in the news and got lifted up to martyr status when we really found out behind the scenes they're scum? And how many times was a flip also true that as criminals get away with crime again and again and evil people live in the lap of luxury and get all the breaks and live a long time good people get trashed how many times have we seen that you know what Solomon's response is it's all meaningless it's all futile honestly if you're living under the sun you know what he says to do go get it go get it be evil get rich be praised live long prosper because you're just going to die anyway that is what he is saying here. But the wisdom nugget 
to navigate the world of injustice is found in verse 12 when he says, although a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people for they are reverent before him. You know what he says? Fear God. Fear God. He has said it a handful of times and he'll say it a few more times throughout the rest of this book. Fear God. Why? Because he is the ultimate authority. He is the ultimate authority. Don't forget who's in charge here. Don't forget that there is more than just living this life under the sun. See, God's justice might be delayed while he waits for a sinner to repent, but it will not be denied. His justice will not be denied. Those who choose to live in sin or refuse to repent will not get away with anything. Instead, they are only stacking their case for a brutal sentencing that will come from the hands of a just God. That's what we have to understand. Justice comes through Jesus Christ. It comes through the cross where he hung and died in our place for our sins or it comes from the throne of judgment where Christ sits and judges those and we die in our place for our sins. It's your call. It's your call. Either way, justice is coming. Solomon says the wise person knows this and lives accordingly. They may not know everything, but the one thing they know for sure is this life isn't it. That's not what we're living for. And he says how we live that out as he wraps up the chapter. Verse 15. So I commend enjoyment because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat, drink, and enjoy himself. For this will accompany him in his labor during the days of his life that God gives him under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the activity that is done on the earth, even though one's eyes do not close and sleep day or night, I observed all the work of God and concluded that a person is unable to discover the work that is done under the sun. Even though a person labors hard to explore it, he cannot find it. Even if a wise person claims to know it, he's unable to discover it. He's saying, hey, guess what? This world's full of evil. This world's full of injustice. We're going to have frustrations and things are going to happen under the sun. There's work to be done to overcome the injustice and evil, but he gives Christians, followers of Christ, a big warning here. And this is tied with that wisdom nugget in how we respond and live. He says, don't miss God. See, some people get so wrapped up in government. Some people get so wrapped up in politics. Some people get so wrapped up in social justice movement that while they meet, feel like they're accomplishing something with their life, they're actually not living their life. They're not living it. They get so singularly focused, they miss everything else. They miss the actual reason for living. We can't solve it all. We can't know it all. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful. We cannot become so driven and obsessed by the injustices of the world that we miss God. We miss his goodness, we miss his plan, we miss his glory, and we miss the life that he has given us. So the warning is, is don't miss it. Don't miss the big picture. Don't miss God. Solomon says, this is what you need to do. Even while you work for the glory of God, it's okay to have fun. It's okay to eat good food. It's okay to drink iced tea. It's okay to make memories. It's okay to enjoy the life we've been given and glorify God in the process. It is okay. And he says, I want you to take these nuggets of wisdom. I want you to, to take them as you navigate this life and, and do the right thing at the right time for the right reason. This is what I want you to do. Rely on the wisdom of God and go live the life that God has given you for His glory and for the good of others. 
Let God be in control. Let you be used by Him. That is the challenge that we have as we finish up chapter 8. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for today. Thank You for the way You continue to speak. Thanks for guiding us through chapter 8. It talks about things we don't like, like authority. Help us in our daily lives. Help us through 2024. Because we know it's going to get ugly. We know what's coming ahead, or at least a little bit of what's coming ahead. God, we want you to be glorified. We want you to be glorified in our responses. We want you to be glorified in our interactions. We want you to be glorified. And the only way that's going to happen is if we rely on your godly wisdom. Instead of relying on our own things, instead of relying on the things that we may have heard or the things that we feel, God, help us to rely on your wisdom. That's how we're going to navigate this. That's how we're going to give you the glory. That's how we're going to help others see you for who you are. God, help us not to be a hindrance, but instead help us to be a help to bring people closer to you and to grow your kingdom because that's what it's all about. We pray it all in your name. Amen.